lesson for this evening comes from James' letter, chapter 3. This can be found on page 1214 in the Church Bible. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny its truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord.
start with prayer. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm going to start my sermon with a quote from Albert Albert Einstein. Um, Only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not completely sure about the former. Uh, The passage we just had read by Faye from James contains so much that we could look at tonight, Um, but I'm just going to be focusing on the the final part of it, verses 13 to 18, and what James has to say about wisdom and how we can all live peacefully together. In our modern culture, with technology at our fingertips, we're blessed with access to an enormous amount of information, lots of facts, knowledge, The click of a button, or perhaps more appropriately, the swipe of a finger, gives us so much knowledge available to us, but has it really made us any wiser? It's an age-old challenge for the human race, understanding and seeking wisdom. It was an important thing for the Jewish people as well. Not just wisdom to follow God, but also wisdom for practical application in the way in which they lived their lives. We can see the importance in the structure of the Old Testament. There are seven wisdom books, perhaps the ones most well-known and familiar to us, the Book of Proverbs, the Psalms, Job. Throughout these books, we see the recurring theme that it's not enough just to have knowledge. You need to have wisdom to be able to use that knowledge correctly. An interesting comment from a contemporary Christian writer, Max Licardo, Knowledge enables us to take things apart, but wisdom enables us to put things together and relate God's truth to our daily lives. So let's have a look at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs. What what does the the writer of of, uh, Proverbs, Solomon, say about them? They're for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence for those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're studying the book of James on Sunday evenings, and this is the third in a series looking at what the the, uh, letters of James has to say about how we live our lives as a Christian community. So just a a recap on, on who James was and who he was addressing in the book. James doesn't specifically identify himself in the book, but scholars widely agree the author is James, the half brother of Jesus. He was not a disciple during Jesus' ministry on earth, but he saw and believed in Jesus after his resurrection and became an important leader of the Christian community in Jerusalem. He worked alongside Peter and Paul. James wrote the book between AD 45 and 48, around the time of the Jerusalem Council. It was possibly the first New Testament book to have been written down. 
Some scholars have pointed out the book of James looks like the Old Testament book of Proverbs, dressed up in the New Testament resurrected Christ story. James is addressing Jewish Christian believers in his book. It is important to remember that his entreaties to practical action and good deeds, the outward profession of belief, are not aimed at non-believers as a call to gain salvation through action. James is writing with a passion to those who call themselves followers of Christ to live lives that are truly worthy of that calling. For James, faith was no abstract proposition, but it really had effect in the real world. He offered practical examples to illustrate his point. Faith endures in the midst of trials. Faith controls the tongue, sets aside wickedness, visits orphans and widows, does not have favourites, and calls on God for wisdom. James still speaks actively to each of us today. How do our actions mirror the faith that we proclaim? Are we equally guilty of saying one thing and doing something else? How can we live a life that produces authentic, faith-filled deeds and spirit-filled fruit? I'm going to look at four questions, particularly focusing on these verses on wisdom, 13 to 18. Firstly, how can we tell if someone is wise? Secondly, what is worldly wisdom? Thirdly, how do we cultivate heavenly wisdom? And finally, how do we sow seeds of peace through the way that we live our lives? So I've said I'm going to focus on verses 13 to 18, but I'm just going to head back to the beginning of chapter 3 and have a look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a very sobering verse to have been given when you've been asked to prepare a sermon. James was writing at a time when many people were stepping forward to speak and to teach others. Some were leading people astray with incorrect teaching. Others were speaking eloquently and powerfully, but their faith was not lived out in the way that they actually lived. They said one thing and they did another. If we hark back to Proverbs verse 4, chapter 4 verse 7, it's probably one of the things James was thinking about. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. James is calling out preachers and teachers who say many good things, but somehow miss the heart of God's message, fail to relate his truth to everyday life. It's this kind of knowledge without wisdom that James is writing about. It's not just preachers and teachers those of us who stand at the front or lead groups of people. As individual believers, we represent God here on earth. I've been on a few courses about presenting, communication, public speaking. They all talk about the importance of words and music as you make your presentation. Your impact is about 50-50 words and what you actually do, how you appear, what your body language says about you. People aren't just listening to what you say, they're looking at how your body, your actions reflect those words. 
The same applies to people listening to us, to what we have to say about Jesus, our faith in God. People look at how we live our lives. Do our actions mirror what we claim we believe about a loving God? Are we saying one thing and doing another? So how can we tell if someone is wise? Let's look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So what are the signs? James is going against cultural norms of wisdom, being demonstrated through knowledge and facts. He calls out the way we live our lives, our actions and deeds done in humility show the true wisdom of our hearts. The word that we have translated as humility has that sense of meekness and gentleness. But the original Greek word conveys much more than that. It's something like the controlled strength of an animal that's been domesticated. The wisdom James speaks about is not the wisdom related to the amount of information learnt, the speed and accuracy by which it can be retrieved from our minds, but it's the wisdom of a redeemed heart and mind that seeks God's will. James echoes the life and character of Jesus. As we see in Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. Come to me, all you who are, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. James emphasizes the importance of humility and meekness as an essential sign of wisdom. Why is he doing that? Well, it's a reflection of the character of God. It's a putting aside of self-will and self-desire and a taking up of God's will for our lives. As Jesus said, it is those who are not considered to be wise, little children, that see the tr simple truth of who God is and how much he loves us. We need to remember that this meekness and humility is not backboneless, easily led astray, weakness. The image of the Greek word for gentleness, the humility of a tamed animal, is helpful. We come before God with all that we are, all that he created in us, our personalities, our skills, our gifts, our weaknesses, our faults, but we're called to come under the control of our creator. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we serve him not with our self-assured, self-centered lives, but in submission to his will, with humble hearts, with the joy of being known and loved by him. 
So what is worldly wisdom? Let's have a look at verses 14 to 16. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There was a very interesting report on the BBC News on Friday. A couple from Portland, Oregon, were mystified when they received a phone call from a distant friend. Their Amazon Alexa device had recorded a conversation between them and sent the recording to a random person in their email contact list. Fortunately, they were discussing the merits of hardwood flooring and nothing more personal or embarrassing. They instantly complained. Amazon explained, Alexa had very carefully followed the instructions it had heard. Heard them say, Alexa. It had heard them say, yes. It had heard them say, send. This was not an error. Got me thinking, well, whose instructions are we following? What voices are we listening to? How are we responding to those instructions? Are we like a program device that's listening to the voice of this world? Are we aware of the voice of our maker? Who is controlling us? Who has created our code for life? James warns us about putting our own interests first of the damage that comes from bitter envy and selfish ambition. Paul also wrote about our sinful nature. And this morning we looked at Romans chapter 8. Verses 5 to 8. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. James reminds us not to deny the truth, that we are not yet perfect. We do need to watch out for pride, for envy, for selfish ambition, and return with humility to God. Acting with worldly wisdom, warns James, will result in disorder and conflict. We fall into the trap of putting ourselves and our needs at the centre of all the decisions that we make. So how then do we cultivate this worldly wisdom? Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Proverbs 3 verse 15 speaks of wisdom as being more precious than rubies, one of the most valuable objects in the ancient world. If wisdom is that valuable, doesn't it make sense to intentionally pursue it? 
So how can we find this heavenly wisdom? Well, earlier in James, in chapter 1, verse 5, James encourages us to pray for it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Perhaps some, a verse we ought to be memorising when we're searching for wisdom or struggling with decisions. There are other practical things we can do to find God's wisdom. We can seek out and learn from others. Grow relationships with others who embody heavenly wisdom. Spend time with those whose lives reflect all the fruit that James mentions in verse 17. For those who are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. Find a spiritual mentor, an encourager, a supporter to help you grow in that heavenly wisdom. We can study God's word, purposefully spending time studying and learning, measuring the decisions we make against God's commands and promises becomes much easier when we know and are familiar with God's word. It is said by psychologists it takes a minimum of 21 days to form a new habit. That, of course, applies to both good and bad habits. It's a challenge to each one of us. What are we filling our time with? What habits could we take up that would cultivate more heavenly wisdom in our lives? Equally, what habits are consuming our time, our thoughts, directing our actions and our deeds, things we need to reduce or give up? So how then can we sow seeds of peace through the way in which we live our lives? Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Throughout these verses, 13 to 18, James has been describing the difference between worldly wisdom and godly or heavenly wisdom. As we saw, worldly wisdom encourages us to be selfish and greedy, to put our own needs before those of others. Godly wisdom, on the other hand, leads to peace, to mercy, sincerity. As all farmers and gardeners know, bad seed produces a poor crop, good seed produces a flourishing crop and an abundance of fruit. James concludes here, verse 18, with this beautiful picture of a bountiful crop ripe and ready for harvesting, a harvest of righteousness and goodness, good fruit that reflects God's love to the world. How did this crop get there? It was planted by God's followers who make peace. Peacemakers who are committed to living peacefully with others in the full knowledge that God loves them unconditionally and is the source and provider of everything they really need. They know that God is meeting their every need through his good gifts. They do not need to fight or defend themselves against others for what they need. Their peace-loving lifestyle leads to a harvest of righteous decisions. The message version puts verse 18 like this. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God 
and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honour. Living peacefully as a community of Christians and as a church has to be cultivated. It is hard work. Each of us has a part to play in growing our own heavenly wisdom and in giving attention and care to the way that we treat others. We need to tend and nurture the fruit of the Spirit so that we can each live lives that are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, impartial, sincere, and full of good fruit. So in these verses in James, we've looked at how we can tell if somebody is wise, what do we really mean by worldly wisdom, how we can cultivate heavenly wisdom, how we can sow seeds of peace in our church community. When I was preparing, I read some of the book of Proverbs in the Good News version of the Bible. Somehow the verses in that version seemed much sharper and to the point than in other versions. I'll end with a couple of verses from Proverbs 12, verse 15. Stupid people always think they are right. Wise people listen to advice. And verse 18. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. So let's encourage each other to live as a community where we listen to the Holy Spirit for wisdom and advice on how to live our lives. And let us use that heavenly wisdom to build up each other so that we live in love and peace together.